This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, 6 a.m. on Wednesday, the 7th of September. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Philip C. We are The Morning Run, taking you all the way up to 10 a.m. this morning. A very good morning. It's hum day. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I feel so excited. Is Pips? it? Just perhaps. the midweek, I guess, uh, uh, the triumph of reaching it to midweek. The triumph, yeah, perhaps. But I saw, I think, the week where it's a full work week because last week we had four days and then next week we also have four days, right? Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to get through this week, which is full five days. And then next week it's a four-day work week and I can relax a bit. I like how you think, Phil. Um, in any case, it's Wednesday. We have a jam-packed show for you full of interesting conversations about all the important topics of the day. Beginning at 7 15. Yesterday, we spoke to business commentator Pankaj C. Kumar about Budget 2023 and some of the difficult decisions that the government may need to take. I think right-sizing the civil service, that's mm. one of those key structural issues that's always been there, but it's been really difficult to tackle. Um, but, you know, given what we're facing now with the pandemic pressures or the aftermath of the pandemic pressures, it may be more imperative than ever for the government to actually um, maybe bring the civil service down to a smaller size. Yeah, this is going to be a hard Herculean task, I think, simply because, look, just last week we talked about the you know Prime Minister announcing some goodie bags and incentives and a rate pay rise, actually, mm-hmm. for civil service. So, you know, trying to make this reverse difficult decision, I think it's going to be super hard. So we're going to get some suggestions on this from economist Dr. Nung Sari Radi, how this maybe could be done. Um, but And what else do we have this morning? Yeah, 7.30 we, we turn over to Singapore because they're introducing a special visa to attract high-level talent and expertise to the country. We discuss the rationale behind the policy and how this will impact the Singaporean labour force with economist Dr. Walter Thessera. But I think this is very interesting. Don't we do this also in Malaysia? Are we doing this similar kind of of attraction of multi-talented you know, high net worth individuals into our country as well. I mean, that's what we think we're doing, especially with the recent uh, premium visa pass that uh, the government is launching beginning October. So we'll take some time to compare the two and see whether the aims are the same or in parallel. And later on at 7.45, the government is looking to table a climate change bill before the end of the year. But what should this legislation encompass? We're going to speak to Yin Xiaolong of Kazana Research Institute for his recommendations. We're going to have all this and more today on the Morning run, so stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Peter Gabriel in your eyes, forever immortalized by that scene from the movie Say Anything, where John Cusack is holding the boombox above his head and blaring this song. It's um, like a Romeo Juliet kind of thing, but for the modern era, using the boombox instead. Perhaps, perhaps, yes, perhaps. instead of what yonder light beyond whatever breaks. Whatever. It's <laughs> Peter Gabriel's in your eyes instead. Yeah. They've dumbed it down a lot this century, didn't they? They, well, I wouldn't say dumbing, they were just, you know, uh, adapting to the times. Perhaps. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, that's Philip C. We're the morning run, 6.08 in the morning on Wednesday, the 7th of September. And I love a good pun, Phil, as you know or yes, may not know. we and do know. <laughs> that's really the reason we're kickstarting the morning with this opinion piece from The Guardian. It's written by Georgina Lawton, and she titled it, Lord of the Pings, how I turned off my notifications and got my life back. I fully resonate with this article because, you know, for, for, for the longest time, I think, especially for the past three, four years, notifications have dominated my attention span. And I have to say, like, like because of my Sajatra, which was very important and important, 
very good in a way. The mobile phone became a part of my anatomy. It moved with me everywhere because I just had to log in and register every place. And the result, I just kept on looking at my phone. And then I just was looking at my notifications all the time. That's right. In this piece, she's not, well, she's not in Malaysia. But, you know, as, as you said, there's a lot of uh, parallels to how we face, uh, yeah. how, how we deal with it. Well, Georgina talks about how turning off notifications on her phone or other devices freed her from the tyranny of having to respond immediately. So what, she's, what she did was she muted some of her notifications. She took some of her apps off the phone or something. Yep. And, um, and yeah, that really just um, freed her attention from, from the pings that kept going on, perhaps, right. in the background. I think, it's, it's, I think it's not really the phone's fault. It's the expectations that come with it. And I remember, you know, about a couple of years back, maybe a decade ago when I was working, the expectation was, okay, that's an email sent to you, you know, respond within a day. That's the expectation. 24-hour response. And that's considered like if Efficient already. But now the expectation is used. if they send you something on WhatsApp, because hardly anything is sent on email now for instructions or work, your expectation is can you respond in an hour or two? That I think is the big seismic shift in expectation and that's why we keep on looking at our phones. Exactly. And you and me, Phil, we're old enough to remember a time when smartphones weren't really part of yeah. our day-to-day reality. Well, Blackberries were for a certain time. But when, when Blackberries were introduced, it was a pretty heady feeling, actually, to hear the notifications yeah. from the Blackberry, to know that, oh, someone's messaging me. Oh, what does it say? There, there was initially excitement, sort of, just because we're dealing with this new novel technology, true, right? True, true. But I think over the past decade or so, we've definitely, that novelty has worn off. And I think what's, I think the distinction between Blackberry and now is BlackBerry was a single app so you really were just focused with that app to just do one thing whereas the current phone is just multiple apps right so you're just moving between apps it's even adding more to your anxiety and worry and tiredness very true because that notification could be from your email it could be from your whatsapp it could be from your iMessage yeah. it could be from that game where you're harvesting potatoes or something and they're reminding really? you, you that it's potatoes. time to harvest <laughs> the potatoes so yes uh, there are many ways in which your phone can the, the noise is coming from your, from your phone can distract you. Yes. And in a way, we're kind of attuned to it in, in that similar to the experiment with the dogs, right? Where you mm. ring the bell and they know it's time for dinner and Correct. it kind of attunes them to it. So how do we wean ourselves off it? I just have the discipline. I mean, you have you can go to your settings and remove notifications from your app. But I think it's also very important to just say, look, let me just dedicate 15 minutes every three, four hour interval to look at my phone and then the rest I will not look at it. Mm. I think that's, that's I think, where, what you have to do. You have that, that structured time. And secondly, really, you just have to be kind to yourself and say, look, you don't really need to respond to everything within two, three hours. Mm. You don't really, the world doesn't change seismically within the next, you know, 180 minutes. And you just have to accept that. I think another thing that I found particularly helpful mm. is, you know how all of our gadgets are interconnected now, right? We've got smartwatches, we've got that are connected to the smartphones that are connected to our laptops. Yep. So what I've done is for certain apps, uh, communication apps like WhatsApp, I make sure that my watch doesn't connect to that. So I will not get notifications of, from WhatsApp on my watch. I don't need to. And my notifications on, on WhatsApp on the phone are, are muted so that I can uh, sort of be disciplined enough to use, to only check it during the times that I allocate it. That is an excellent idea. And, and just to extend it to the laptop, I used to have WhatsApp web 
right? And that's been really distracting with respect to getting work done. Because when you have WhatsApp web, you're just looking at that, you know, right. tab and seeing whether there are any new notifications coming through. But if you turn it off, you actually can focus on getting your work done. And then you just turn on the WhatsApp web. So now what I do is, let's say if I'm on air now, I have my laptop with me in front of me, but I don't have my WhatsApp web. Right. So you know that that's one distraction. One distraction. Out of sight, uh, you can deal with that later on Absolutely. when you take a look at your phone. Yeah. So of course, different techniques will work differently for different people. Everyone needs to adapt this to their own situation. But tell us how you silence those pings. Uh, you can WhatsApp us on 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'd love to hear uh, how you divorce yourself from technology or from the anxiety of having to respond immediately. So that you can be the lord of your own life. Instead of Lord of the Pings. <laughs> 6.14 in the morning, we're heading into some messages. We're going to come back with a discussion on a Penangite fugitive that's on the hook for stealing millions. And it's not Joe Lowe. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Ava Adore by the Smashing Pumpkins. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Philip C. 6.19 in the morning on Wednesday, the 7th of September. Now, Malaysia has not one, but two infamous fugitive Penangites involved in corruption. <laughs> now, we're all familiar with the name Joe Lowe, but there's also another chap by the name of Leonard Glenn Francis, who is making headlines at the moment. And he's known as Fat Leonard. I wonder if it's fat, though. I believe that that uh, moniker did, did come from his physical attributes at, at some point. Yes. Well, it's, it's, I think it's, it splashed across all headlines yesterday. He's basically on the run. He's a fugitive because he escaped house arrest in San Diego after cutting off his monitoring bracelet in the United States. I'm wondering, you know, are these guys so naive in the United States to give him a house arrest so that he could just escape himself? But just let's go through the charges, right? He's Please been do. accused of bribing about $500,000 worth to Navy officers, as well as charging the US Navy about $35 million over the expected rate, right? Overcharging about $35 million, as all these Navy ships and aircraft carriers docked at all the different ports all across Asia and used his facilities and overcharged them. Mm. Now, this is a very fascinating story. So many things that were very interesting with it. Of course, it involved prostitution. It involved also bribery. It involved also making up all these kind of memos of letters of commendation to show that he's credible. So for me, this is a very interesting story about how the ingenuity of Penangites has been wrongly used. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I first heard about Fat Leonard through the journalist Tom Wright, who of course was on the trail of Joe Lowe. And I spoke to Tom Wright last year when he launched um, his podcast series on Fat Leonard. Um, And Tom Wright actually managed to have a series of interviews, in-person interviews with Fat Leonard. So that's what his podcast is based on, all these conversations with um, Leonard Glenn Francis, uh, trying to find out how how he, how, how his mind takes, yeah. what his background is. So it's a really fascinating deep dive into a complex character that has become such a prominent figure in the defense scene. Um, and I guess this this case raises a lot of interesting points in terms of 
where corruption flourishes, how corruption yep. flourishes, and, and why it's just so hard to, to tackle sometimes. And as you say, right, it's complex because it's involving so many components. So for in this case here as well, he had many co-conspirators within the Navy and he called them the cool kids, the wolf pack. So, you know, I find that with corruption, it's just not the clear classic, like I give you money and then do this thing. There's so many ways of how you kind of build relationships, like, you know, the letter of commendations to make you sound credible, to actually build this secret, you know, group underneath it to make it work. But it got me thinking long and hard about why is it that defence contracts all around the world are always prone to corruption? Why is it? I mean, we, we in Malaysia have so many discussions taking place. several cases that so, have been ongoing. I mean, it, this pales in comparison, relatively speaking, right? So like the LCS, we're talking about billions here. This is million dollars. And they call this the US's worst corruption scandal, right? $35 million is considered the worst in the United States history. So what we're going through in Malaysia, I think, pales in comparison, I think. The difference is ca- the difference it's pretty stark. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> pretty stark. You raise such a good point there, um, Phil. Why are defence contracts so susceptible to these corrupt practices? Yeah. And I wonder if it has something to do with how defence deals are done under this shroud of secrecy. Yeah? There's the, the notion of, oh, National this is for security. the... Exactly. So these, these details are confidential. We can't share them. But because of that opaqueness, it just makes it all the more easier to, I guess, put something in there that's that shouldn't be there. That's right. And sometimes, you know, you would argue that, oh, because it's opaque, they, you really need spe- spe- technical specifications that are very unique. So then these contractors are very few and far in between. So... I think that also makes it very hard, right, as we see. And it's also very hard, you know, for governments when they are in this political cycle to be seen to cut budget, defence budgets. For example, in the United States, it's very hard, it's very unpatriotic to cut defence budget spending. Right. You know, it's very hard to say I'm, I'm, I have to take austerity measures on defence because that means you're not patriotic per se. Right. So that I always feel it's also the pressure point, right, that it's sometimes a, a money spigot that's easy to turn on and turn off as well. When you say things like patriotism, when you say things like national security, those are very emotive concepts, actually. It is. It is. Um, and, and people find it very difficult to argue against that, you know, or, or yeah, or, or to turn that down. Um, yeah, so we now know that Len, uh, Leonard is on the run. Um, he was supposed to be sentenced. He did plead guilty, by the way. Yeah. And he was a prosecution witness for other um, um, military officials who were in the dock. So uh, I, I, a lot of things to look out for and I how mean, this turns out. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, where, where does this all end in the end, you know, for him? Because he's in the run, I hope they track him. But to be fair, again, just a reminder, this scandal pales in comparison to what we are going through here in Malaysia. And so as much attention that this is getting, uh, perhaps we should also be looking inward to what's happening on our shores. Um, I do think the Evening Edition team will be speaking to Tom Wright at some point later today on this story. So check it out later this evening if you want to know more. And you can always listen to the Pressing Matters interview that I had with Tom Wright back in October last year. You can look that up on the BFM app. It's 6.25 in the morning. We're heading into the 6 a.m. news, 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. And after that, as always, we take a look at global headlines. Here's This Charming Man by The Smiths to take you to the news. BFM 89.9. That was Metric with Gimme Sympathy, a great song to kickstart the morning. It's 6.39 a.m. On Wednesday, the 7th of September, you're listening to the the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. Now we had a message come in on an earlier conversation when we were talking about uh, notifications and smartphone notifications. Um, Ro WhatsApped in to say that either you turn off notifications 
or you turn off those who send them. Ooh, Ro, that's been that's pretty harsh. Which sounds, which to me sounds ominous, Ro. Ominous. I hope you don't mean any physical violence, but I hope you just mean don't blue tick them. There we go. There is a there is a way to um, turn off your what, what read message or yes. read message. Yeah. So do that. I, I find it very helpful. That's a better as well. way to turn off. <laughs> All right, it's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Uh, why don't you start us off, Phil? What's caught your eye this morning? Across all newspapers and portals, we see more weapons on the way as Russia are buying arms from North Korea for the for Ukraine's war. So the Russian Ministry of Defense is in the process of purchasing millions of rockets and artillery shells from North Korea for its ongoing fight in Ukraine, according to US intelligence findings. I think this is a very interesting story, simply because it is a sign of desperation that now that that Russia has to resort to North Korea for its arms. Because early on, there was also talk about Iranian-based artillery and missiles and defences. So for me, are these just the only core sources, right, of, of defence equipment for Russia going forward? Because we know on the other flip side, Ukraine has basically got a lot of support from the West with respect to their military equipment. Right. And at the moment, Iran and North Korea, who are isolated from the international community, they're really the only ones that Russia can turn to without, um, I guess, without going through the whole network of sanctions that are in place from other countries. I have, however, been quite interested to note the narrative that's being taken by international media on this, uh, pointing out that, oh, because they're getting it from North Korea, they must be um, they must be suffering from short supply, you know, and I'm not sure that... um, I don't know if I if I can make that if, if I can take yeah that, we can't necessarily make that analogy right perhaps weapons for oil kind of uh, trade that took place but I think we are missing China as well could China also be potentially a supplier for military equipment to Russia because we know in the past Russia was very interested in Chinese based drones to support their mission but we haven't seen that yet materialize so that's also still a big question mark. And I guess one thing to note, as this article from the Financial Times that we're looking at says, um, Russia's import of weapons from North Korea would be a serious violation of UN sanctions. So North Korea is under United Nations sanctions. Mm. If um, Russia is importing weapons from them, uh, that is, they are breaking that uh, that sort of law in place. But yeah. then how will the international community react, given that Russia is already under a barrage of sanctions of their own? Can't, well, I'm just wondering why, what Sanctions can be done. are slow burn. I think it's very evident from what we've seen across the board in Iran, North Korea that, you know, sanctions will not have an immediate effect. We've talked about the Russian economy still holding up, being relatively resilient, despite all these very heavy-handed sanctions. But I think the argument has always been that sanctions will never hit you immediately. Mm. And just the whole, what I've been following throughout this is what this does for the denuclearization movement, given that all these nuclear countries are, are beefing themselves up, you know, are increasing their weapons and with North Korea being more emboldened, perhaps, what does mm. that spell for um, denuclearization? That's Something right. Actually, you're hearing the flip side. A lot of people are actually now thinking of actually expanding their nuclear capabilities across the board. Of course, they argue it from an energy supply side perspective, right? Which is also one of the flip side of what's happening in Russia, isn't it? That's also causing a, causing a lot of havoc in Europe. And it's where the EU is planning to introduce all sorts of uh, solutions to kind of 
of counter this astronomic energy bills. And I think, as you pointed out, uh, Shaz, I think in many t- conversations we've had in the past few days, the EU is thinking of putting all these caps in place. And But the question is, how do you subsidise and pay for these subsidies? That's a big question. And that's what the headline we're seeing overnight, in that Brussels is pushing for national windfall taxes on energy companies, inflated earnings, to counter what you mentioned, astronomic electricity bills. Yeah, so windfall taxes seems to be the easiest, I think, get-out clause to kind of do this. If you think about the balance sheets, right, of the government, of households, and also of corporates, really corporate balance sheets seem to be the strongest, seem to be the most resilient across the board. Even close home back in Malaysia, we talked a lot about windfall taxes for glove manufacturers and even palm oil companies. Which you know, we do when, have, yeah. When, we, when they were doing it. So this is not an alien concept, to be fair, to buffer and support, you think, the balance sheets of the other two parts. So really... But the question is, how how does this reflect corporate spending and, and investments in the future going forward? That's the biggest debate happening now. And I think that's something that um, EU diplomats will be mulling over this week. They're due to discuss this further on Friday. Mm. Something we'll be keeping an eye on. I think as we gear towards winter, there's going to be a lot of focus on how Europe is going to manage the energy crisis. And similarly, in the UK, as we saw yesterday, uh, new Prime Minister Liz Truss came out saying that one of her three biggest priorities, one is the economy, one is NHS, second, of course, is the energy bills coming through. What is she going to do? Is cutting taxes just enough or not enough? Something that we will surely be discussing in the days and weeks ahead. It's 6.45 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. And when we come back, we take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Cake with Love You Madly. And as we were just discussing in the studio during the song, we here on The Morning Run really do love cake. Madly. We do. We also love our pets. We do. <laughs> Indeed, we do love our pets. By the way, that's Philip C. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. 6.50 in the morning on Wednesday, the 7th of September. And we're taking a look at what's making the headlines in our local newspapers and portals. First thing that caught my eye today was this small headline on the Sinar Haryan front page. And it's really a warning to cat lovers out there. There is a catnapper <sighs> on the loose. Apparently, this catnapper in Sarawak is asking for a ransom of 6,000 ringgit to return a cat to their owners. Otherwise, it's going to be tossed into the river. Wow. This is some kind of uh, bond thing where you have to go and find the cat and rescue the cat from this catnapper. Well, we really don't condone animal violence or violence of any kind. So I do hope that this cat is returned to its owners safe and sound. Well, one thing for sure we should not condone is online child porn, but that seems to be a worrying, disturbing trend because there are about 100,000 IP addresses in Malaysia linked to sexual exploitation of kids, according to our Deputy Woman, Family and Community Development Minister. Oh, wow, that is That terrible. is a shocking number. What struck me, if you look at the numbers, is 1,055 child abuse cases were recorded by the Welfare Department just this year from January to June. Of that total, 578 involved physical abuse, 470 cases involved sexual abuse and 60 involved emotional abuse. This is really not a laughing matter. This it is one. really not a laughing matter. And I think it does bring to um, stark relief the need for perhaps more resources, more enforcement uh, resources into child protection. I know there have been calls for the government to establish a specific ministry for children. Um, I don't know. When I hear stories like this, it to me, it feels like yeah. all the more reason to have dedicated resources and personnel to tackle these 
those kinds of issues. Fully agree with you. I think that I think is something that we urgently need immediate resolution and cannot be taken lightly. Now, another matter that we perhaps cannot take lightly is we understand very soon that the Ministry of Health is planning to come up with new unmasking slash masking guidelines. Now, the New Straits Times has come up with a new poll saying that a majority of you still favour to keep your mask on. Interesting stuff. I'd be, I mean, I'd love to hear from um, from you out there if you've got thoughts on this, whether you think we're ready to unmask. Um, we know that Singapore, they have lifted their mask mandates yeah. except for public transports and hospitals. Um, but do you think we are ready to do so in, in our situation? Yeah, we had a conversation, I think, a couple of weeks back, I think, about what are the nuances, what are the triggers for us to decide whether we should unmask or mask? Is it, is it our booster protection load? Is it the basis that COVID cases have been on the continuous decline. That's, I think, the real question. But you're seeing that debate, I think, swirl. And I think this is going to be a pretty divisive issue still. We are expecting an announcement sometime today or tomorrow. Perhaps we will be covering it on the morning run as and when developments come out. So stay tuned for that. Uh, what else has caught your eye this morning? Uh, the star is, uh, I think there was actually a whole survey done by the Federation of Malaysian Manufacturers, right, in terms of the latest survey of business conditions. And it seems that a majority of respondents favor the reintroduction of the goods and services tax at a lower rate of 4%. It seems very much so that the, that the employer base feels that it's important to, I think, have a broader base tax industry, but not going back to the higher rates in the past, but starting at a lower 4% tax rate. Interesting. And this reminds me of the conversation that we had yesterday with business commentator Pankaj C. Kumar in terms of Budget 2023 and how the government will have to make difficult decisions on how it wants to rebalance our yeah. fiscal, uh, pos- the government's fiscal position. Um, in- increasing tax revenues is really going to be a key thing. GSD uh, is seen is widely seen as the way to go. If it's being accepted by the business community, that uh, would pave that way it's a lot. It's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, for sure, Neither. and just unpacking the numbers here, seventy-four percent of say seventy-four percent of the survey respondents say they supported the reintroduction, but forty-nine percent of them said they needed a six-month period for the transition back. I think it is all about the implementation. You know, you just can't introduce something and expect it, voila, to appear suddenly. People want an orderly transition. And we saw that recently in the past few weeks, right, about this whole new unemployment law, about why, you know, employees were so frustrated with how it was implemented and they wanted that grace period, hence an extension to January next year. Right. All right, in the minute or so that we have, I just want to cover these two headlines that I think really should be read in tandem together. Firstly, is that uh, Datuk Sri Najib Razak has submitted um, a review uh, for his SRC International Graft case. Uh, So in addition to his petition for royal pardon, he's also seeking judicial review, which Mm. is well within his rights to do so. Um, But another headline I've seen is comments by the de facto law minister, um, Datuk Sriwan Junaidi, um, saying that those with ongoing trials will not be barred from running in the general elections. So I'm wondering what uh, implications that has. What does it mean um, in the sense of what does an ongoing trial entail? Is this petition for royal pardon and judicial review, does that fall under that blanket? In Very which good. case, will we be seeing that Shinojit Razak still run in GE15? Very good question. I mean, there are many questions. Is he still Pakan MP? Will he be Pakan MP? And can he run for the next election? It's, I don't know. I think there's no clarity over that. Well, we'll be following this as always. It's 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 7am news bulletin and we'll come back with a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is the Velvet Underground. I'm waiting for the man. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.